Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. So today, for the first time ever, you're going to get to hear a live parent coaching session. We'll all get to work with a parent on a particular challenge that they're facing. And together, we'll explore the background of the issue, identify what those root causes of the problem might be, and also problem solve some solutions together. The suggestions I make will all be kind of embracing this 3D parent approach, and I'll keep that in mind. And I'm also going to be encouraging the parents to, again, as always, parent with dignity, direction, and deep connection in mind. So let's get started. I want to welcome my special guest today, Sarah Dean. And I'd love to hear some background just about you in general, your family, your family members, what you do for work, the age of your child, and also what your family loves to do to connect with one another and spend special time together. Sure. Hi. Hi (laughs) So I'm Sarah Dean and uh, my family consists of myself, my husband, Vince, my son, Vinny, and Vinny is seven. And then we have a 14-year-old dog who is old and stinky. Oh, you're furry. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So, um, we have our seven-year-old, our family was built after a long infertility journey and it's been a kind of a six-year process for us, um, around trying to have one child, trying to have a second child. So we have this one child who, you know, I think as happens with only children, we put a lot into this one child. Um, but he's, Amazing. We adore him. We love him. We have so much fun. Parenthood has been so like all the extremes that I never expected. So the highs are so high and the lows are really hard. And I think the biggest surprise for me has been that I am someone who prides myself on only doing things I'm good at. And that just got destroyed with motherhood. <laughs> yeah, parenting is a big humbling experience, oh, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so this is the first thing I've done that I don't always feel like I'm really good at. <laughs> so that's been very humbling for sure. And that first year, especially, I did not expect motherhood to just really completely compromise my whole sense of identity. Like I just did not know which way was up that first year. So now we have a seven-year-old and with him being this age in terms of the way we're able to connect, I just feel like it is, it keeps getting more fun. And I think that for a long time, I thought that I would mourn things as he got older, especially because he's an only child. And what I've found is that I keep getting this reinforcement that it just keeps getting better and that I don't need to mourn the past and the the harder times, (laughs) even though he was so cute and cuddly back then, but um, we can really do a lot of fun things. So like last Last winter, we learned to ski and now we're a ski family. We love to travel together. So we connect really... Part of our infertility journey was about when we couldn't have a second child, we really decided to live a life that 
we could only live because we have one child. And so that's allowed us to have some really, really fun adventures. And that's kind of our primary means of connection is really doing special things, just the three of us. I love that. I love that you've embraced kind of where this journey has brought you and, and use that kind of to find, oh gosh, we can connect. We can do so much yeah. because we're a family of three. Believe me, as a family of six, there's a <laughs> lot that you can do that are like, is almost impossible for our families. So. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, that's been a big thing is like watching big families on social media and instead of feeling jealous, feeling like, oh wait, but like we got to go to Portugal for spring break, you know? <laughs> so yeah, my family has l- not left the continent. I can tell you that. <laughs> Right, right. That is a big goal of ours and we've been saving and working towards that goal. But yeah, that's that's a lot. Um, So that's awesome. So thanks so much for sharing all of that, Sarah. Let's dive into the coaching portion of our call today. I want to hear from you. What is kind of this biggest presenting challenge that you wanted to hash out today on the 3D Parent Podcast? Go ahead and share with me kind of where you are right now. And then if you have kind of, if there's a history of this kind of challenge that's kind of cropped up or other things you can kind of relate to in the past, go ahead and share those as well. I might kind of jump in and ask a few more clarifying questions, but just share basically where you are right now and then any history of this challenge that's relevant. Okay. So we are currently having a challenge around bedtime and being scared and middle of the night wake ups also around being scared. And it's seems to be primarily fear of burglars. And so we will get Vinny in bed and we have, you know, a pretty typical bedtime routine of reading stories and rubbing his back. And he turns on, we turn on his music and his white noise machine and the hall light and the doors open. I mean, we feel like there's all these layers of protection and calm, soothing steps that we take. And we go through all of this. And then if we don't stay in his room until he's asleep, he will inevitably come out and say that he's scared. And part of it, I think, is the layout of our house is his bedroom's on the second floor. After he goes to bed, we're often in the basement watching TV or kind of getting stuff done in our offices. And so there is a lot of physical space between us after he goes to bed. And I think that contributes. But this fear around burglars is he's often up multiple times at bedtime. And then he often is up multiple times during the night. Um, He's typically up at least once, but sometimes it's more than once. Where And it's when he gets up in the middle of the night, it's like he gets out of bed and he comes running, sometimes screaming into our room um, and is terrified. And I mean, if you like get him in bed, you can like, if I pull him in bed with me, I can feel like his heart is racing. He's super, super scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically walk him back to his room, rub his back for a minute, and he generally does go back to sleep really quickly. Um, but sometimes he'll be up again an hour later. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And it definitely feels like a regression to like newborn land. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say in terms of history, he is definitely a child who has struggled with transitions. We actually had him in occupational therapy for anxiety when he was three. And so this fear isn't shocking to me. I don't feel like it came out of nowhere. I just feel like we are struggling around how to help him. And we try to be really compassionate around, we don't dismiss his fears, we talk through them with him. But what we're finding, and when we went to occupational therapy previously, we learned some really good, what I called pattern interrupts. And so he'd gotten in some patterns around bedtime when he was three, and he didn't identify being fearful at that time. He just would Mm -hmm. get up a lot. And so we implemented some strategies to kind of interrupt this pattern of him getting up over and over at bedtime. 
but we haven't been able to figure out a pattern interrupt around that like eases his mind enough for him to go to sleep confidently on his own in this current context. Got it. So you mentioned kind of like past history and struggles around kind of anxiety or feelings mm-hmm. of alarm. Is that something you still are observing outside of this bedtime time period or middle of the night time period? Are you still seeing kind of evidence of him kind of just kind of being more of an anxious child just in general? I not really. Um, so I, he and I are a lot alike. So this also, again, is not surprising in that sense. So when I watch him, I'm like, oh, this was me when I was eight. And so he's like a year ahead of me. But mm-hmm. um, so it's in that sense, it's not like totally shocking to me. Um, but And I don't see it showing up in other areas a whole lot. But that said, because I come from a similar background of being pretty anxious and wanting things to be predictable, we've created a pretty predictable lifestyle for him. So mm-hmm. I think that we, he, you know, he thrives in routine and we've established that. And so I don't, there's not a lot of other areas. We, we did have a little bit of resistance to like summer camps this summer. When we would move camps from week to week, um, he already is saying like, he's not going to go to summer camp next summer. So mm-hmm. new scenarios, new transitions, those kinds of things, I would say he's definitely hesitant, but once he's there, it's not like he's clinging to my leg screaming and I can't leave. Um, so we've, you know, which that did happen for years on end in preschool. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like it's showing up really in other places um, that I can see. Um, and his teacher, I've talked to his teacher um, about it and she's not seen anything unusual in his behavior or anything going on at school either. Okay. In terms of your bedtime routine that you currently kind of have, um, about how long would you say that is on average? Well, it depends if I do it or my husband does it. So (laughs) when my husband does it, he does it successfully in like 15 minutes. And when I do it last night, it took an hour and Vinny was still wide awake. (laughs) And I was like, I do not understand what I'm doing differently. So we actually, my husband and I had a good conversation about it. But I think when I do it... um, for whatever reason, it tends to take much longer. Mm-hmm. I read to him for longer, I think is part of it. But I think sometimes I also incorporate extra activities like let's pull, fold the laundry together. <laughs> let's put things away. Let's get a few other things done and out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I don't know if that's like getting him riled up or... So anyways, to answer your question, it's anyway, anywhere between probably like 15, 20 minutes to my long end is an hour last night where it was like lots of rubbing the back and singing songs and he still was wide awake. And I finally was like, I'm leaving now. Um, <laughs> right. And so, and so, yeah, but my husband, one of the things my husband said that he's been doing... So when I lay Vinny down in bed, I'll, but I'm rubbing his back, I'll have him identify things he's grateful for from the day. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm like making him think happy thoughts. My husband said he's been having him lay down and take deep breaths while he rubs his back. Mm. And so I was like, oh, maybe that's what I need. Because I think encouraging talking is maybe not helpful. So that's kind um, of... It can be. It, I think um, what you're talking about, though, I think that's what you could kind of take a look at. I, I yeah. agree that maybe with those conversations and nighttime uh, conversations could help him kind of process these feelings and not drive him into the state of kind of panic or fear. Right. Um, so a couple more questions and we can dive a little bit more into that. In terms of the nighttime routine you described, it, do you feel like it's, you're in general, the one that's kind of leading the next thing or is a lot of like, I need one more glass of water. I need to go to the bathroom again. I need another story. And it's kind of responding to his like need for more and more and more and more and more. Um, I feel like I'm directing it and I'm really clear around like potty PJs, brush teeth. Like it's very systematic, mm-hmm. um, like checking a box. And so mm-hmm. if he needs more things, it's 
often after we've left the room. Got it. Then he's like, we can hear him. So he has a little bit of a lofted bed. So he'll, it's like a two little, two rung ladder. He'll jump off that. We'll hear like this thud. And then he's, so this is what happened last night. He like got up, he was adjusting the music. He wanted to like skip a song. Then he got up and he wanted to, he wanted to change pajamas. <laughs> like, so it seems sometimes that he gets up and is doing a bunch of things that in my mind seem like he can't settle his body. Mm-hmm. Um, again, when my husband does bedtime, this does not seem to happen as much. So. Interesting. <laughs> yes, I know. And I'm just kind of, we just started putting this together. I was like, why mm-hmm. is it taking me so long? And like, even when I'm trying to rub his back, he's like tossing and turning and I'm hot and I'm this and that. And like, and I was like, do we just need to have my husband do this for a while? No, I think <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. Cause you're like, gosh, it seems more successful. A lot of times, I'll start jumping into some like observations yeah. and things I'm hearing. A lot of times we think, gosh, if our child struggles with some type of a transition, anything particularly around separation, we think, gosh, they just need to practice separating more mm-hmm. and then they're going to get better at it. And actually the opposite is true. What we're going to be looking at is ways in, to try and help him feel more connected and more able to hold on to that connection, that attachment that he has with you so that he can better handle a period of separation. Okay. So bedtime, nighttime is the most significant separation for kids to handle. And it seems sometimes a little funny because you're like, well, gosh, you're away at school all day long and I'm at work or, or at home or whatever. And, and he seems to be able to manage that. And mm-hmm. now we're in the same home. Like, why is that harder for him? Well, actually, it's because the actual process of sleep is the most separate. You're not conscious. Right, so it, right. in terms of like transition, this is the biggest one. Like you're, you cannot consciously make yourself hold on to something that your brain cannot do. You, you can't force yourself, to, right? So right. part of it is him kind of resisting falling asleep because then he's really separated. Yeah. So one of the things I'm always encouraging my coaching clients to do, and definitely I've talked a lot about a lot on the 3D Parent podcast is to kind of like look at what's going on. And rather than just trying to manage the behaviors and try and like fix these, the problem behaviors you're seeing around uh, the bedtime struggle is to kind of dig down and figure out, okay, what's the root cause? What is the root cause? And the bedtime problem is usually a pretty obvious root cause, which is this separation The greatest human need is attachment and connection. And so the greatest kind of enemy of that is separation. But we all need to sleep, right? (laughs) We all do need that. So helping a child who struggles around this period of separation is the key. Now, you said that in the past when he's younger, you definitely saw evidence of him struggling around separation. Mm -hmm. Now he's gotten a little older. He's a little bit better able to kind of cope with periods of separation like at school which is great. We know he can do it, but this is an area where he's kind of like all the struggles around separation are still coming out. And bedtime is oftentimes when you'll get those meltdowns, those, you know, those, all those big emotions kind of bubble up. And it's really because they've been carrying around those feelings inside all day long. And the end of the day, it's kind of when they get a chance to kind of bubble up, which is not super convenient or pleasant for us. (laughs) Yeah. When we're ready to wind down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that is kind of normal. So it kind of helps sometimes be like, okay, this is normal. Not the only parent going through this right now. I need to make space for it. I need to be empathetic to what's going on for him. So you're right. I love that you said that 
you don't try to talk him out of his worries. You definitely don't want to ever do that or tell your child, oh, there's nothing to worry about. In fact, right. you want to do this opposite. Gosh, thinking about robbers and burglars, that's scary. That is scary. I understand why that would be scary. So you don't want to try and talk your child off of, you got nothing to worry about. You go ahead and you empathize. Yeah, that is a scary thing to think about. And then providing him with some strategies that kind of help him realize that he's not alone in these worries. So first is, of course, normalizing and saying, gosh, that is scary to think about. But then also you want to kind of give him the impression that you're here to take those worries on with him, not necessarily take them away. You know, we can't make a child stop worrying or take worries away, but I'm here to help you process this and take these on for you and encourage him to go ahead and talk about his worries. Because as we know, talking about things that are on our mind or bother us, help. So I would actually incorporate that into kind of, instead of just right, why do I jumping to think happy thoughts Mm -hmm. um, and being grateful and talking about something in terms of being grateful. That's great. Maybe I would maybe move that to like mealtime to talk about something you're grateful for. And at bedtime, go ahead and let him talk about his worries. If they're coming up, you don't want to go to a child and say, what are you worrying about? Tell me what's worrying you you know, in, in like necessarily draw them out, encourage, <laughs> encourage it. But if he, if you know that he's going to have, or if it's been a repeated pattern every night, yeah. like worrying about the burglars again. All right, let's talk about that. Cause I know it feels better when you talk about it. Mm-hmm. You can put into place something that can kind of help your child kind of recognize that it's not that he's letting these worries go, but more that like you're in this together, you're on the same team, you're going to help him process together. So sometimes writing them down, in either in a journal, you can start a little worry journal, mm-hmm. or you could have a little jar that holds the worries that you could write them and stick them in the jar. Or if you like cute, cuddly little animals, this is something I just found by accident in a toy store on the clearance shelf. And my third born went through a period of having lots of nighttime worries. And I got her this little worry eater doll. It's super adorable. You can find it on you know Amazon or your local toy store, but it has a little zipper mouth. And we got into the process of writing down her worries for the night on a little strip of paper, and then you feed them to the animal. Again, not with the idea that they're gone now, but more that like the worry eater, he's going to help you or she's going to help you with this worry. I'm here to help the worry eater. We're all in this together. And so you kind of feed those little worries to the animal and kind of help process them and move through those things. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Someone just told us about the worry eater. Yes. (laughs) I was like, we need one of these because we did get a worry workbook, which we've been working through. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that at bedtime, which I don't know. I'm like, is this the right time to do this? Because does this just make it all come to the surface? Well, um, it's, it's there anyway. Like it. And, and yeah. if we're, if we're going to kind of jump right in and say like, you've got a lot of worries. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about that. I'm going to take these on. The main thing you're trying to impress them on is that you can handle, you can guide him through this. You can help take these on for him. Yeah. Um, it's important to not convey to your child that their worries, their anxiety stresses you out. <laughs> Right, right. Important to kind of say like, I can take this, I can help you. Oh yeah, worries are hard. I'm in this with you. So that they kind of feel like this sense of security that like, oh gosh, I don't have to handle this all on my own. Mm -hmm. So I do encourage you to kind of process them if you feel like they're coming up on a routine basis, or if he's just naturally driven to kind of talk about them. Otherwise they're going to come up when he's alone. 
And that's what's going to drive them to come find you and seek you out to kind of help him. So if you've processed them ahead of time, we've already talked about them and we might have some kind of tactile solutions like the the worry eater stuffy or a jar or a journal or something to put them down and kind of process those together. Um, Then the next thing that you really want to have be part of the bedtime routine, and this is the most important thing. Since we know that the struggle is almost um, 100% certain is about the separation that's coming up on the other end of you walking through the door and saying goodnight, since we know that's what it is, we need to give him some things to help him bridge that separation. Um, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who I've done a lot of studies through, and I mention his work a lot on my podcast, he uses that term bridge. And it's just like it sounds. You're trying to basically help your child make it over that period of separation to get to the other side. So rather than focusing your energy and your time on, I'm leaving, separating, I'm going now, instead you point them towards the next time you're going to be together, that next point of connection. That's the bridging we're talking about. And there's lots of different ways you could do that. Lots of different ways to try and help your child bridge nighttime separation. So the next point of contact, you hope, is the morning, right? Yes. That's the goal here. So absolutely. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to make waffles. So the next Mm -hmm. morning, I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to cover you in kisses. Tomorrow morning, I can't wait to climb into bed and give you a big snuggle. What can you do to kind of point him towards that next point of connection? If your child is not one that often makes it to the morning, which it sounds like Vinny is one of those kids, you can put in some bridging that happens before the morning. Some of it can be imaginary. You can talk about your dreams. Hey, what are you going to dream about tonight? I'm going to try and join you in your dream. Let's figure out, let's, let's think about a dream that we can have together. So you kind of put into his mind that like, even in your dreams, we can still be connected. We could still be in each other's dreams. So you're going to kind of help him bridge towards sleep in that kind of unconscious time when your dreams kind of creep in. Okay. And of course, happy dreams. <laughs> oh, right. remember when you were in Portugal this summer? Let's dream about that beautiful beach. What should, what should we dream about there? And I'm going to check with you in the morning and see if you, if you found me in your dream because I'm going to be looking for you in my dreams too. So you can kind of keep this kind of language around connection through sleep. Okay. If it sounds like Vinny is a kid that wants to come out and find you, if you've not stayed till he's asleep, then it might be really helpful to you come to him before he has a chance to come out. Yes. So, so that's how we did the pattern interrupt before and it did work well. Um, perfect. And so we do, I was actually going to ask you what your thoughts on this, because what we do right now is we go sit outside his room. Well, so my husband usually just can rub his back and he'll go to sleep. Mm-hmm. If he wait, if like his trick is like, I'm gonna rub his back for three songs and then he's usually out. When I do it, that does not work. And so then I go sit out in the hall for five minutes and I, I'll say like, I'm gonna go sit in the hall and I'm gonna come back and check on you in five minutes. And then we do that. And then by the time that's all done, it's pretty close to when my husband's gonna let the dog out to go to the bathroom. So then I'll say, okay, I'm checking on you. Do you feel safe? And he'll always say yes. And then I go downstairs and then I say, um, so Papa's going to come check on you when he lets Danny out and it's going to be in like 20 minutes or something. But then he usually can't make it the 20 minutes. Right. So I'm like, do we need to do five minutes at a time? And- yes. The key is not to make the time longer than your child can handle. Okay. So um, initially while you're trying to kind of make him not feel the sense of urgency to come find you, you do want it to be relatively short. So it might okay. be five minutes and it, five minutes is pretty workable for him. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked to parents through one minute. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, yeah. you know, stretches. So maybe it's five minutes a couple times. And it's also, you can draw his attention to him hearing you around the house. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to hear me, I'm going to be washing dishes. You, I'm still here and I'll be back to mm-hmm. check on you as, you know, in five minutes. And then maybe once he's made it through five minutes, a couple times, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I'm now going to load the laundry. I'll be back in about 10 minutes to check on you. And every time you come in with just this kisses and the next point of connection. So I'll be back again you know, and so on. And if you fall asleep, I'm still going to come in and check on you. And that's something else you want to let him know is that whether you do or not, that you come and you check on him and you see him and you give him kisses. You yeah, can even, in, um, that yes, that. yes, that I come and see you and I, you're not alone and I'm here to check on you. And um, okay. you might want to encourage your husband to not always stay until he's asleep. So okay. he's practicing this with both of you. Okay. This idea of being able to hold on even through a separation while he's conscious so okay. that he knows. And so I'm going to come rub your back and then I'll be back in five minutes. And I'll rub your back again if he wants to include that. But mm-hmm. when you return, it's with a sense of generosity. So this sense of, I'm so excited to see you again and give you more kisses. This is a tough one, but the more we make our kids aware of our agendas and the other things that we want or need to be doing, the more they feel the sense of urgency to see mm. with you. So it's really important that you keep those hidden into yourself and not, <laughs> I've got so much to do. And oh my God. Last night eight, at 8.30 at night, last night I was like, and now I'm done. <laughs> totally. Yes. And that, what does that do? That increases the alarm, right? Right. right. Like, oh my gosh. Now she's really gone. I've right. Really, and so that's hard. And I understand, believe me, I've been there more times than I can count. So you basically just have to kind of go through a little bit of this kind of charade of like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. so glad to be coming back and giving you another <laughs> kiss because that's reassuring him. And that's yeah. Again, that alarm at bay. As soon as he's like, oh, years, okay, fine. I'll come back one more time. Or like, I've really yeah. got work to do, buddy. You got to do yeah. this on your own. Right. That's just going to throw him into alarm. Okay. If it doesn't bubble up right then and there and cause him to come running after you, it might bubble up in the middle of the night. It might bubble mm-hmm. up at other times when he has felt the sense of separation that you've kind of a little bit forced him into by mm-hmm. drawing attention to, again, the separation versus the next point of connection. Okay. I'm going to um, send you, Sarah, uh, kind of a follow-up email, and I'm going to put this into my show notes, a link to this great resource that Dr. Deborah McNamara, she wrote the book, Rest, Play, Grow, which was one of my very favorite books that I also talk about frequently on uh, my podcast. She has this wonderful website with all kinds of resources and articles, and she has one which is an infographic with a list of, I think it's I think it's 20 or so ideas to do exactly this bridge that I came separation. Mm. So, you know, coming back and checking our five minutes is great, but there's other ideas too, other things you can do to give your child an actual something to hold on to, like a picture or something that belongs to you or smells like you that they can kind of hold on to to kind of help them bridge that period of separation, help them kind of feel less alarm around the separation. So I'll send you this list of other ideas and you can read through it. Some of them you might connect with based on who your child is and what you know he'd be drawn towards or might be age appropriate for him at his age and stage. Okay. So those can give you more ideas to go off of in terms of bridging ideas. Another thing to think in terms of the daytime, the waking hours, he's in school, you're in work, and then you have this togetherness time at the end of the day. And there is a lot of things that need to be done. We need to make dinner. We need to you know, clean up. We need to get things set for the next day of school and lots of tasks that need to happen. At least 15 minutes every day when you have that time together, just make it 100% dedicated to play, 
connection, distraction-free, like phones are away, all the distractions, where you are just focusing on one-on-one attachment connection time with your son. This would be great for both of you. But since it seems like he seems to have more of this kind of pursuit that he can't get quite enough from you, I'd say for you, it's essential. This is going to be that vitamin that's going to keep you from getting sick. Putting that a little bit more of that time up front, that's intentional, special time that he gets to look forward to every day that he feels like, oh, I don't have to seek this for myself Mm -hmm. or try and get this need met. It's guaranteed. I get it all the time. Whether you're the one putting him to bed that night or not, put this into place. So he just kind of has that extra little bit before he has the chance to feel, oh, I need more of you, mom. I need more, more, more. You've already taken care of that need. So he maybe doesn't even have to feel that intense pursuit. Is that something you've tried before, this kind of intentional daily special time? Um, so on days that he, it kind of depends on the day. So a couple days a week, he goes to extended care after school. Um, on the days he doesn't go to extended care, we have super solid quality time after school, Mm -hmm. um, where we like do activities together and we go, we, yeah. And we do homework together and we sit and we spend long periods of time. So on those days, it happens really automatically on other days. So on the couple days that he goes to extended care or has sports, it's definitely shorter time, but we still like, we always eat dinner as a family. And then we always do some sort of activity after dinner. So that's sometimes it's homework. Sometimes it's a game, but there's usually definitely, I mean, it's not necessarily one-on-one. Oftentimes it's like my husband and I, it's often the three of us doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, I definitely feel like he does get some concentrated attention time every night. And then the days that he doesn't go to extended care, he gets like really concentrated time. That's great. But my, my suggestion is to make it like label it special time okay. and to make, even and though you're going to spend way more time with him than distinguish it for minutes, him. Exactly. Distinguish okay. it for him and make sure that that time is really intentional in terms of like, there's nothing else going on. There's no distractions. Okay. There's no, I'm going to check my phones. There's no other thing. It's just real focused time. Even though you're going to spend tons of time hanging out with him, that time is a hundred percent just to connect, play. You could introduce something fun to do, or you could follow his lead. That okay. just can be helpful in terms of a child kind of that has that intense pursuit, just okay. feeling like, oh, I know I'm going to get this. I know I'm going to get this time. They don't feel like they have to work for it so much. Okay. And then in terms of, we didn't talk as much about the nighttime wake-ups. Right now, it sounds like you're going to him. You're not leaving him alone with his fears. Good. Stay there. I'm, I'm glad that you have that sense. Sometimes people are like, oh, you know, is this, do we cry it out? I'm like, mm, your child is seven. You know? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. That does not work. Um, nor would that be something that would encourage even a young yeah. child. But regardless, going to him, laying down with him, that seems to settle his fears. If you're okay with that, that, that is meeting his need. You're going and you're comforting him. You're saying, I'm here to support you and help you get back to sleep. Another thing you can consider, and this is a personal choice, this is something I did with my third born child who runs fairly alarmed, is I did build a little bed in my room for her. And I let her know that this is always open for you. If you wake up in the middle of the night and it gets scary, you have this, you can come and you can crawl into this bed. She did it initially pretty frequently. And then it started coming in less and less and less. Just knowing that you're, I'm always available to you. You're welcome. If that's going to ease your, your fears in the middle of the night, you're welcome to come crawl into that little bed. And then, you know, then we didn't need it anymore. It kind of went away. Yeah. We have done some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and we did that for a while when he was, um, so we made the mistake of letting him watch Harry Potter. Oh, and, <laughs> pretty so, scary stuff. Yeah. yeah. So after he saw Voldemort, he slept in our room for two months. He had like <laughs> literally never slept in our room as a, even like since he was eight weeks old, he had not been in our room right. and we made like a bed on the floor for him. And I was fine with it. It was like totally fine. So we have done that a couple of times since then. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a really loud sleeper. He talks in his sleep yes. and he crashes and it wakes me up and it's, I'm a very light sleeper. So, but I mean, also if it would, I'm comfortable with it if it bridges the gap and. Right. And it might be just a temporary solution. If you feel, if if it's suddenly like he's doing this every single night, then I would go there. If it's once in a while that he has these middle of night wake ups and you're kind of taking him back and settling him back down, then maybe you save it and don't necessarily need to go there. So it kind of, depending upon how frequently he's having these middle of the night, kind of like periods of high alarm kind of would indicate how much this should be something that's available to him. Okay. Yeah. I've been kind of doing it. Like if he comes in more than twice or if he comes in two times and then we do it, but, okay. and I'm, but, but I, that's good to hear that you recommend it. Cause I'm also conflicted around like, is he going to make himself wake up twice? Cause he knows that's the threshold to end up in our room. No. And that's why communicating to him, this is available to him. Sometimes it's okay. all a kid needs to know. Okay. If they have an invitation, should they need this? Yeah. It's there. And then they suddenly don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so that it is because, you know, he's communicating something through this behavior. Yeah. He's communicating something. We can't ignore it. He's communicating that right now he needs help. He needs support with his feelings of alarm. And mm-hmm. so again, we can't just force him into more separation. The solution is he needs more togetherness, more connection. Yeah. So providing opportunities for him to connect during the waking hours by kind of like increasing this focus on we get this together special time mm-hmm. can be really helpful. But then also letting him know that like, sometimes it's hard to be on your own. I understand that here's a solution that might be helpful for you. If you wake up and it's too scary to be on your own, I'm here. You're always welcome to come in our room and crawl on the little nest on the floor. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess lastly, you know, it's really tough when you have a child that is wired more for alarm, but we all know that these feelings are there for a reason and they're good. Like we need to have these alarm systems working in our bodies because that's, that's what keeps us safe. So it's important to talk through your child. He's at an age where, and you may have done this already, but he's at an age where not in a moment of panic and alarm, but outside of that, when you're just having a good time and you're hanging out and you're connected, say like, you know, sometimes you feel really worried about things that actually is a part of your body that your, your body, your brain sends out these messages and these chemicals go to help you find safety when you're feeling worried and alarmed. And we need that. You know, if, if you're about to step into a street and all of a sudden you hear a car going by and you feel, oh wait, alarm, I, I shouldn't go into the street right now. Your body is doing, taking care of you. And that's a really great thing. But sometimes your body gets a little confused. And sometimes it sends these messages when there isn't really something to be worried about. And so understanding that sometimes our bodies do little tricks on us and that's okay. That just means that you need to work a little bit on help, you know, sharing it with me and I'll take on some of those worries for you. And we can kind of work together to kind of help you when you're feeling stressed and worried. But going through and explaining to him why we have these alarm systems, why they work, how they're really good can sometimes help a child kind of process and kind of become friendly, especially if he's going to be kind of more wired towards anxiety just because of who he is. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story with us and your challenges around bedtime. I hope there have been some things that you can kind of put into place and rethink some things that are going on in your home. 
if any of you listeners out there would like to be a guest on my show for future parent coach episodes, please contact me at the3dparent.com and let me know that you're interested and we can follow up. I'd love the opportunity to be a part of your parenting journey. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you so much. This was really helpful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the 3D parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D parent podcast.